Creative Babble. Hey everyone, before we start the show, I wanted to tell you that John and I are going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival in Dallas on August 26th through the 28th, and it's awesome. I went last time in Chicago, and it was great because unlike other podcast festivals, you really get to spend a lot of time with your favorite podcasters. So go to the show notes, and you'll have a link there so you could get an early bird special for the True Crime Podcast Festival. trust a wild bill how can you trust a murdering monster so well i'm gonna tell you i'm the real deal i'm not some pansy ass poser in a comic con outfit motherfuckers i'm the dark prophet the one who lives in hell one who wades through the river of blood and shit that is one of the many voices of william dathan holbert channeling what he calls the dark prophet yeah, exactly. I mean, there are so many sides to Wild Bill. I mean, you've got this like larger than life kind of, you know, he, he jumps out at you. He commands your uh, interest and engagement. And then there's this other side where he just kind of cries the blues about whatever, being in prison or feeling awful about something he did. You just you never know what you're going to get with them. Yeah, but this dark prophet, I mean, that one, that voice seemed a little bit more unhinged than the other voices for some reason. And and it's not really clear what he was trying to get across. Yeah, I think that that title is a lot more ominous than he wants it to be. Because I think what he's trying to convey is the dark is the bad and the prophet is the good. But when you put those two together, it's not good and evil. It's a dark prophet. So it's not it's somebody who is is speaking and and providing, you know, kind of a sermon to people, but it's not necessarily a positive or favorable uh, message. I think what he meant was that he is the good guy amongst all the bad guys. He could represent the bad guys. That's the first thing he wanted to talk about the first time I talked to him. And I'm I spoke to him at least five times over the course of the month. And we communicated all the time through text. And we talked about a lot of different things, his childhood, his past crimes, and what he's doing now. He's the kind of guy that he he wants the positives, the voice he decide, he thinks are positive, of the crimes he's committed. But he doesn't want to have to talk about any of the negative or deal with any of the negative aspects. You know, he doesn't want to give up the gory details. He doesn't want to tell you how and why he did things. Yeah, exactly, John. He wants to reap all the benefits of being a serial killer without actually taking the responsibility of being a serial killer. For example, he loves the attention. He loves how all these women come and flock to him and write him letters and visit him in jail. He likes to call them his Ted Bundy hoes. Yeah, and this is a phenomenon known as hybristophilia, which is like a sexual interest or an attraction to people who commit crimes. It's usually violent crimes. And him referring to these women as Bundy hoes, he's referencing Ted Bundy, who when he went on trial for the numerous murders that he committed, he had kind of a contingency of women who were in the courtroom who didn't know him, but just seemed to admire him and praise him from afar just because of what he had done. And that garnered a lot of media attention back then. And so he kind of sees the same thing with with what's going on with him right now. Yeah, I personally can't understand why a woman would be attracted to a monster like this, especially a monster who has confessed to all his 
murders, you know. I could I could see if the guy was saying, "Hey, it wasn't me," and there was some sh- uh, shadow of a doubt, but there is there is no doubt. The guy has confessed to killing at least five people, and still he has all these women that write to him all the time. But we're going to talk about that later on in the episode. Needless to say, while Bill and I talked about a lot of different topics, including his new book and his podcast. Yeah, you heard right. But there was one topic that he did not want to talk about. Let me guess. His victims? Yep. Can I ask you questions about the victims? I guess. It's not really something that I really... I mean, honestly, it's not really something... Look, I mean, people... Here, I want to talk about that, actually. Here, listen. There's two kinds of there's two kinds of listeners these podcasts, and I know that you want to talk about the victims, but let me let me say something first. There's the zoo animal kind of listener who looked at a guy like me like a zoo animal. He says, "Thank God I'm not like that extraterrestrial black bill, that person who's nothing like me." But I would like to dissect Bill to know why he's such a piece of shit. That's one kind of listener, and then there's another kind of listener that's like. Ooh, I'm interested in Bill, and and I can see a little bit of camaraderie in this person who's living a situation which is interesting and very difficult, and I want to get to know him. Now, there's those two people are very different, and everybody listening to your program falls into one of those two categories, and I want to say something from the bottom of my heart. If you're the zoo animal type person, stay the fuck away from me. The reason why I think it's, I don't agree with your two types of listener scenario is that you wouldn't have Ted Bundy hoes and you wouldn't have a book and you wouldn't be the king if it wasn't for these crimes that you committed, these horrible crimes, right? You would just be just another guy in prison. So, I mean, that's why I think the the victims are relevant and talking about them is important. I don't think that it's not relevant. I'm just telling you that for me, it's painful to talk about so Javier, you wanted to talk about the victims, but instead, while Bill deflects the conversation, and instead of talking about the victims, he's talking about how sick he thinks listeners are for wanting to hear this information. Yeah, like we're the ones that are gross for wanting to listen to him, not the guy who actually murdered a bunch of people. For instance, I'll be honest with you, this is a two this is an interview that happened over two days, so the people will, will understand that. After the first day, man, I was like depressed as shit. Yesterday I was depressed all day. Well, well, after after the first time I talked about this shit, yeah, exactly. Just talking to you about, I mean, like literally just thinking about those things in the past. And I'll answer your questions right now. But just yeah. thinking about those things in the past depresses the piss out of me because I can't believe that I actually did those things. And I mean, really, you're like, I don't see you very repentant, man. God Almighty, just the thought of even thinking about those things makes me want to go vomit. Yeah. No, I, I trust me. I, I would imagine that that's like a, an unpleasant conversation to have, but I think it's an important mm-hmm. conversation to have. I'm John Taylor with the Twisted Podcast. And I'm Javier Leva with the Pretend Podcast. And this is season three of Criminal Conduct, an American serial killer in paradise. Bye, Luke.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You know, if I had to, if I had to label you one way or the other, I would say you're closer to a con man. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's really true. I think that's true. Actually, I wanted to tell you something. You, you, I know your show. You have a show about con men, and I did this thing. In, in, in Boquete in Panama, I, I was about flat broke once. I, I'd gotten down and this was before I'd ever killed anybody. I never killed anybody. And we rented a nice house in a, in the gringo community there. And like, this is what I did. I went and took, I made business cards that said Dr. William Reese. And I set up a psychiatric practice right on the square in Main Street. And there was a gringo meeting every Sunday. So I went to this gringo meeting and introduced myself as Dr. William Reese. I bought myself a pair of glasses that didn't have a prescription. They just had clear glass in them. Say, so I bought a black leather couch and a, and a, and a, a black leather chair. And I, we sat. I, the, the, the client would come in and sit down. The patient would come in and sit down. And basically all I would say is, well, tell me how you feel. What's going on in your life? And they would start talking. And then I would ask how you feel about that. And, and what did the, do, you, do you have any thoughts about that? And that's about it. But it was really lucrative. And, 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 and I... In retrospect, I wish I'd just stayed with that because it was like really cool because I got to go to all the parties as a doctor. And so, but about for about eight months in Boquete, I was Dr. William Reese and it was pretty cool. Actually, I got to be honest with you. So, John, you're a huge true crime fan. I mean, you follow these kind of cases all the time. Have you ever seen a case like this where, where a con artist turns into a serial killer? I know that they're out there. It's just, it's not very common. It's, you know, it's a similar mindset, but it's totally different skills. I mean, you know, one is a white collar crime and the other one is a violent crime. So it's just it's different and it's highly unusual. So I'm very surprised to see someone who starts out doing these kind of low level cons and scams and real estate and then going from that to killing for money. Not all con men are serial killers, but all serial killers are con men. Right before you went to Panama, you and Michelle were like, I think, in the coast of North Carolina, and you had a house that, that, <laughs> that you pulled some big scheme. I was wondering, are there any other like scams like that that you did prior to your Panama days? I'll tell you something I did when I was, when I was in, in the States, when I was a crook. I was, uh, I was always a crook. Man. I mean, like from the day I was born. It's just, I don't know. I think that I had something wrong with me or something. I, I, or like... My mind works in a way which solves puzzles, and everything is a puzzle. And it seems like figuring out how to get away with something is a puzzle to me. And, and it's not even about the money. It was more about money. I'll tell you what I did. And because the statute of limitations has run out on this, and I've never been charged for it, so I can talk about it. I used to steal heavy equipment and sell it. But I would steal heavy equipment and change the serial numbers on it, but I was so good at it. I was so good at it. This is what I would do. I would go steal like something that cost $40,000. Who the hell would ever think anybody was stealing something like that? You know what I mean? I'd dress up like a construction worker and I'd go drive it up on the back of the truck. Nobody says shit. And then I would put it in an auction that's going to Saudi Arabia. And it would sell for $30,000, which is really cheap because it's worth fifty, let's say. And But it's going to fucking Saudi Arabia. So who's ever going to miss it? 
I mean, the, the people are missing it, but who's ever going to find it? And so this this machine goes away and never comes back. And I was making like seriously like one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year doing that at one time in the states before my shit all blew up. So you you've always been what well, well, we say in Spanish, and you would understand this now that you're fluent. You're mm-hmm. vivo. Vivo means you're like quick, yeah, you're muy like, vivo, hermano. Yeah. Un maleante soy yo. I'm a maleante. Uh-huh. Bill says he's very much an opportunist. That's what vivo means. But then he added that he's maleante, an evil opportunist. So according to Wild Bill, he's a celebrity in Panama. But to me, he is much more infamous. Maybe he is a celebrity in Panama, but most likely he's not. But I'll tell you one thing. He is not known here in the U.S. at all. Yeah, and he acts like that's not a big deal to him. Uh, You know, he's happy because his family's here and everything. But I think that he would love for people to know who he is in the United States. Yeah, and these days he's just uh, building up his profile. You know, he's publishing a memoir about his time in prison, and he also started a podcast from his jail cell. Yeah, because it is it is pretty sad that a serial killer has like a marketing campaign out there. I mean, you know, John Wayne Gacy, BTK, Ted Bundy, they didn't have to like work so hard for people to know who they are. But there is one positive for Wild Bill that's come out of his crimes, and that is he's gotten a lot of attention from women. So tell me, you know, we were talking, you were telling me about the women and I read that chapter in your book and I was like, I was stunned. I mean, it doesn't surprise me, Dude, but it, it happened. So tell me about that. I mean, I mean, I, I really love the women here and they love me and it's a totally different dynamic altogether. I, I was never a ladies man when I was growing up. I'm being honest, but I was kind of clumsy around women and I wasn't considered very attractive. I don't think, no, I don't think I was considered unattractive. I, don't, I never felt unattractive. I never felt like super attractive here. Um, after having been so famous in the news media, the set of morals here is really different than it is in the States. It's not the same. And, and man, the women just love me. But I ended up fucking all the girls that worked in the office. I mean, like all of them, except for like one. And I mean, it was just insane. Like I, I didn't even know what to think about myself. And everywhere I go, I mean, it's like I have to try not to get laid. And so, and one of the things that's really what cool do you mean, is that everywhere I, it, you go, <laughs> like what are you talking about? Like everywhere. Well, I mean, I, I, I've been all over Panama. I've done time. You do a couple of years here, a couple of years there. You know, I mean, I'm I'm a pretty mobile guy. I'm really, really locked down right now. But it hasn't always been that way. And it's only been that way for the last two and a half years. I made a, I guess, a mistake of denouncing the human rights violations in the Cherokee prison. They had like four there are two sides to everything Wild Bill says, and they usually contradict each other in some way. He has spoken highly of prison life. He's bragged about the freedom, the girls, but he also told Javier the following. That's why you got to be really, you got to show a lot of respect in a Panamanian prison to not get murdered. Do you get these groupie fans? Like you call them Ted Bundy hoes. I, I've heard you either say that <laughs> or... I love the Ted Bundy hoes, man. I do. And they're cool. They're crazy. Those girls are cool. Like, there's this group of girls, right, that like killers and stuff and, like, want to be choked and all this other shit. I mean, it's not my kind. That's not my thing. I mean, I'm not like a, I don't, I don't want to be a choker, but I sure do like those chicks that are all nuts like that. And there's a lot of girls that are, that, are, that really love serial killers and stuff, but I'm a disappointment to them, I know, totally, because, like, they want to hear about all these gruesome shit. And I don't want to talk about that. That makes me feel bad. You know, I mean, like makes me think about my past and my past is really ugly. So, I, you know, and I'm ashamed of my past. I'm just another guy. I'm not this, I'm not this commanding monster that they think that I am just a normal guy that happened to be in a, 
happened to make some extremely bad decisions and, and find himself in a, in a difficult position, so to speak. But, but, but God bless the Ted Bundy hose. Now I kind of want to talk about your past because I know that we're probably running out of time. But yeah. I want to talk. I want to talk about your family and you. You mentioned your mom and and how. You, no, you but I don't really want to talk too much about my family. I don't really right. talk too much about my family apart from apart from the fact that I said I have the best mother in the world. I really do. She stood by me through everything, even when I abandoned her to go off and be a criminal. And I'm the first person to to reach out to me when I got arrested was my mother. And my mother's the best woman. I don't. She doesn't deserve to have a piece of shit son like me. Yeah, Wild Bill does not like to talk about his past, but he does love to talk. I mean, we're trying to get to know William Datham Holbert, but he doesn't want to talk about his childhood or his crimes. Liberty sees me, it stands by me, and celebrates me for who I am. When I come into the office, I feel that I belong here. I don't have to be corporate America Gabby. I can just bring Gabby to work. Reach your potential and find a job you love at Liberty Mutual. We offer development training, rich benefits, and a culture that lets you bring your whole self to work so you can pursue your tomorrow today. Ready to consider a career at Liberty Mutual? Find out how at LibertyMutualCareers.com. So this guy writes a book, and guess what's not in that book? Right. He completely fails to talk about any of his crimes, his victims, anything relevant. I mean, to me, it would be like reading Michael Jordan's autobiography and him leaving out the fact that he played basketball. Yeah, it would be like a book about an insanely rich guy who never talks about how he got rich. Yeah, the whole book is just about from the time that he was on the run when he gets captured and then his first little bit of time in prison. And that's the entire book. 234 pages of pretty much nothing. Right. He just skips decades of his life. And then everything that he actually did, that just gets eliminated. And he just focuses on this one piece. And it's it's not even clear like what the arc of the story is or anything. I have no idea what he was trying to achieve by, by handpicking this one point in time. You know, you, you're writing a book right now, right? And you're, mm-hmm. you're going to make a profit from that book. And are any of mm-hmm. the proceeds going to the victims' families? They're actually not, but the proceeds are actually going to uh, a, a charity here in Panama that, that does pro bono work for prisoners. Not for me. Not for me. I won't benefit in any way from this book. In your book, you never even mentioned the victims by name. In fact, you, you hardly even talk about them at all. And was that a conscious decision? Well, I mean, I, it's, the book's not about anything that I did. I mean, any of the any of the, the book isn't about the murders. I mean, it wouldn't right. wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to talk about. I'll call you right back in about ten minutes. Okay, no problem. After the break, we will continue our interview with Wild Bill. So, like, what I was going to say is, uh, I hope that our minutes don't run out here. When when this dies, it'll that'll be it. But what I was trying to say is, like, the public wants to hear that you're sitting in a jail cell all day long, crying about the things you did, and life isn't like that, is it? It's not. Life goes on. What am I supposed to do? What would you? Have, what would the public have me do? You know what I mean? Like, I did these fucked up things, and I'm paying for them. I am living a life that is about suffering. I'm not even sorry that I'm having to suffer because it's changed me as a man. I'm not the same man as I used to be. 
I don't know. I just feel like, yeah, you have to move on. And yeah, people want to know that you have remorse. And after listening to this, I, I right, doubt that they would think that. You say that you ask for forgiveness, but you don't sound like a re remorseful man to me, at least. Well, how, am I how would a remorseful man sound? I mean, I don't know. Like, I would, you I know what right. could I say exactly to, to make anybody understand? I mean, like, what am I doing with my life now? Every single moment of my life is spent in the service of other people. I don't, I'm not looking for anything myself. Every single moment of my life is spent in the service of others. I run the church here in the prison. I, I counsel people from all over the world. I run a boxing club here for the kids. I'm a weightlifting instructor here for the kids and asking me to feel bad every day about shit that I did, you know, 12 years ago. The, the man who did those things doesn't exist anymore. I mean, like, I don't know remorse. Would I ever do anything so fucking egotistical and stupid and, and selfish ever again? Never. Never. Right. But, but, but do I spend every waking moment pining over the past? No, I do not. Wild Bill says that he's remorseful and feels bad for what he's done. But to me, it just completely lacks any kind of authenticity. Yeah, I didn't feel it either when I spoke to him. Yeah, I think that, you know, his his being a psychopath or sociopath, however you want to define it, that definitely affects his sincerity. And he can't really be remorseful or repentant, even if he wants to be, because he just he doesn't feel it. Yeah, but he, he does actually bring up a good point, which is as a society, how is he supposed to act and feel when you have when you've committed a crime like this? Like, how is what is the appropriate response for somebody who's actually being remorseful? And I think that's a great question. I've thought about that question in the context of somebody who is wrongfully convicted. Um, and and it, it does apply to somebody who actually committed the crimes as well, which is the answer is there is no good response. No matter how he is, we are going to be hypercritical of it because we think he's a killer or he is a killer. So, I, I mean, I think it's a good point, but that doesn't change the fact that he has no sincerity or authenticity in what he's saying. That's true. Let's not forget, Wild Bill didn't act alone. Yeah, living with him, working with him, and you know, benefiting from all the crimes that he's committing was Jane Cortez, whose real name is Laura Michelle Reese. When you were arrested, you refused to let your wife take the, any of the blame. And wh why is that? Well, she wasn't, she wasn't fucking guilty. I mean, I'm asking you a question. Should a woman be punished for cooking my food and sucking my dick? I mean, that's what she did. That was her role in my life. And it's not like she didn't do anything wrong. She's not my wife. I've been, I've been divorced, married and divorced since, or, or I'm going through a divorce right now. Yeah, you know, to a, a Panamanian woman, they gave her like twenty six years or something. She didn't do anything wrong. No, but but I mean, she knew yeah. about it, and so in in that sense, she was an. I don't think that she knew directly exactly what I was doing. You know what I mean? But she knew I was obviously doing something wrong. I'm not saying she didn't know, but does, do you? I mean, like you're going to go kill people? You take your wife with you? It's madness, of course not. You know what I mean? And so, so I mean, like if they were going to find her guilty, something they should have found her guilty of like third degree accessory to murder or something. She was there killing people with me or what, you know, what, what, and we were Bonnie and Clyde, you know, and that's, that's madness. I think we differ on this topic, actually. I, I think, I think Laura Michelle Reese 
is maybe not 100% as culpable as he is, but I think she knew about this whole thing the whole time. I mean, she knew she was getting houses and property out of nowhere. She was getting people's personal belongings. I mean, how could she claim to be ignorant? Maybe she didn't pull the trigger, but I think that the jury got it right on this one. Yeah, and if you listen to Wild Bill... What he talks about are these unknown, unnamed accomplices. And there are certain things that I'm pretty confident that somebody helped him. Like, how is he dragging bodies or carrying bodies through the woods and then burying them? That would be very difficult. I mean, he's a big guy. That is not easy to do. It would make much more sense if someone helped him in a lot of these activities. And here we have somebody who was right with him the entire time, Laura Michelle Reese. So I find it difficult. I mean... I find it difficult to believe that she wasn't somehow involved, but at the very least, like you said, she knew about it. She knew what was going on. So she's got culpability no matter what. But I think that, you know, a lot of what Wild Bill does and he's hiding and he's protecting his accomplices, you know, it could be very, very well that he's protecting Laura Michelle Reese as the actual accomplice that he's protecting. Laura Michelle Reese ended up getting sentenced to 26 years and four months with the charges of homicide and robbery. And William Hulbert was sentenced to 46 years for the killing of five victims in Panama. A lot of people say, well, 46 years for killing for three homicides or, or five homicides, but there are three charges of homicide. There are five people, but there are three homicide charges. So 46 years, that's cheap in the States. That would be very, that would be very cheap. You know, in the States, that would be life in prison. You'd never get another opportunity for anything. But the Panamanian law, when I was arrested, was that the maximum sentence was 20 years for anything judged in a single process. 46 years for killing five people. I mean, that's that's not a lot if it were to happen here in the United States, right? I mean, that's less than 10 years per victim. That would never happen here. But, I mean, let's say he does serve the entire 46 years. He's going to be 76 years old before he gets out. Yeah, and that's still a lot sooner than he probably should for five first-degree murders. So, John, he was convicted for the murders of five people, but actually there were more victims, weren't there? Yeah, I mean, when I first looked at this case, the first thing you got to think is that I just can't imagine that the authorities linked him to every person he's ever killed. Like, that just seems unlikely to me. But yeah, there definitely were more. And the first one that we know is confirmed linked to him is Jeff Klein. That's right. Jeff Klein was an American lawyer living down in Costa Rica. So if Wild Bill's being honest in his admission, then Jeff Klein would be his sixth victim, sort of, since he's claiming self-defense. Yeah, no, no, I don't know. No, Jeff Klein, I, the, the, they, they investigated the, the murder of Jeff Klein, or the death, not a murder, of Jeff Klein, and, and, and I, I, I caught, how do I say this properly, like respectfully? Jeff Klein was killed in self-defense. The, the authorities, the Republican family and the Republican Costa Rica found out that agreed with that, so. Okay, so, and, and the story is that, I guess, was there an altercation, some sort of fight with you guys, and he fell and hit him? Yeah, it was, a, it was a fight, and it was a, it was a fight, and, and, and I was defending myself, and, and, uh, and so that was that. I don't really want to talk a hell of a lot about that, because they never, they, or I was charged, but I was acquitted on it, so I'd rather just kind of leave it, if you don't mind. But, yeah, but I was acquitted, I was acquitted, I was acquitted on the fact that, that they said it was self-defense. It was. 
while Bill's not going to go into details about Jeff Klein because he's worried that he might slip up and say something and possibly get charged with his death. The story goes that Jeff Klein was running away to the Caribbean because he owed his family $70,000 in child support payments. Right. And then he gets to the Caribbean and within two days, he's living in the same house as William Holbert, who is this serial killer, opportunistic killer. I mean, he's just got horrible luck that he happens to have a hundred thousand dollars on him, which Wild Bill would find out probably within five minutes of talking to him because he's just a hawk looking for that. And the fact that Jeff Klein had a whole lot of money on him, uh, he was a perfect target or victim for Wild Bill. Wild Bill told police that Jeff Klein was high on drugs and got into a fist fight and he fell and smashed his head on an anchor and died instantly. So that that's Wild Bill's version of the story. As soon as I heard Wild Bill tell the story of what happened, it immediately made me think of Robert Durst in the Jenks. Because when he killed Morris Black in Galveston, Texas, he, he had the exact same story. That somehow they got into this argument and then he accidentally killed him in self-defense and he doesn't report it because he's hiding out, which is exactly the exact story that Wild Bill just told about Jeff Klein. I asked Wild Bill about a few deaths that some people have connected to him. And the first one was about Mercedes Ramona Brown Robinson. According to her family, she was found dead after she refused to sell some land that she owned in Bocas del Toro to an American with features that are similar to those of Wild Bill. All right, so let's talk about um, this woman who I forgot to ask you about before, but her name is Mercedes Ramona Brown Robinson. Do you know anything about her? It was the first time I ever heard of her name. The first time I ever oh, heard of her. Oh, really? This is the first time? Yeah. Okay, because apparently, apparently she died shortly after trying to sell a property to someone matching your description. <laughs> no, not me. There were reports that when they found the bodies, the shallow graves, the five bodies uh, that we know of, there was, there's some report that says that there were two additional graves, two additional bodies, but... I never found out if they ever figured out who was who. Or... No idea about that, really. So, I don't know. There were only five graves? Five, yeah. Now, we're going to talk about another person who died in Bocas del Toro that has nothing to do with Wild Bill, but it's too crazy of a coincidence to not talk about. One of the things that we were doing is we were just looking at anybody and everybody that could potentially be a victim of Wild Bill. And one of the names crept up in our analysis investigation was Yvonne Baldelli. And the crazy thing about it is that she lived in the same house that Wild Bill lived in, and she was murdered. Now, it turns out at first that you, you, this had to have been tied to Wild Bill. But it turns out that her murder was after he was already in prison. And it was her boyfriend who killed her. What are the chances that they lived in the exact same house that Wild Bill lived in at one point? Another American expat murdered in this small chain of violence. This is just kind of too too crazy to actually be real, right? Yeah, I mean, if the timing were different, if there was any overlap with Wild Bill, I would have a very difficult time ever excluding him from being a possible suspect in her murder. Wild Bill likes to argue that he doesn't get any sick pleasure from his killing. In fact, he brags about how merciful it is to shoot somebody in the back of the head without them even knowing or seeing it coming. But is this just another one of Wild Bill's lies? 
For example, when he killed Mike Brown and his family, he was able to steal $80,000 in cash that Mike Brown was keeping in a safe. How did he know how to get into that safe? Like, how did he know the combination or the password? And how were you able to get into his safe and his deed after he got murdered? That part of it didn't make sense to me either. Get into a safe in that hard, man. Drill, you drill a hole in the safe. You drill a hole in the safe, right? And you fill the safe up with water, and then you take a torch and you cut the side off the safe. And then, and, and most safes are not watertight, so you got to put a water hose in that hole and like have water like running to keep it full. And you take a cutting torch, you know, and, and like with a welding cutting torch and a settling torch, you cut a hole in the side of it. I guess the, the question I was implying was there was no torture involved or anything like that, was there? No, there were, honest to God, there was, I never tortured anybody in my life. I, I tell you, I mean, I, like the, re, the real truth of the matter is I'm too much of a, that, would, that scares me to even think about doing that to somebody. I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, like think about it yourself. Like you're going to tie somebody up. They know they're going to die. That's stressful to me. I mean, being, being the torturer, even that, I mean, maybe somebody else who doesn't have those sort of feelings, but, but I was always kind of a chicken shit about stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to figure out maybe exactly what he did to some of the victims because once he confessed, the police essentially stopped investigating at that point because it, it's a closed case for them. So they're not going to continue to go out and test evidence and look at things to see, you know, exactly what he did. So here's a passage from Wild Bill's book. He says, I was a hitman. There's a great distinction between a man who earns the money that feeds his family as a hitman and some sick, twisted individual who kills for pleasure. I killed a lot, it's true, but it was always an unpleasant and difficult experience for me. That's what he said he was doing. He was working for a cartel. You see, he wasn't really earning money for his family, right? I mean, he's comparing, he's making himself sound so Right, noble. he's a plumber. Right. Yeah, he just goes on a day's work. Just punching in, doing his job. I can bring you, Javier, a plate with a human turd on it. And I'll say, you eat this human turd, and I'll give you $80 million. Here it is in a sack, and I'll show it to you. And you eat the turd, and then you take the $80 million. That doesn't mean you like to eat shit. It just means you wanted the $80 million. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the reason why I'm harping on this is, and, and remember, we're talking about, you know, uh, uh, Bill Holbert from a different life. You know, like, I'm not the same person mm -hmm. I was, you know, we're talking about a different person right. now. But what I'm drilling at is that I don't think it was a cartel. I think it was an opportunity thing for you. You saw. No, certainly. I mean, it was certainly, it certainly an opportunity. I mean. Well, but that what, no, what I want to know is the first that. Time like, I ever did was there a, another way, though? Did you have to kill them if you wanted their property? No, wasn't certainly there not. Another way? Cer no, certainly. I just certainly didn't have to kill them. I mean, like I did something horrible and selfish and stupid. I mean, like any idiot would have known that that wasn't the right thing to do. You know what I mean? So I mean, yeah, like, but, but the end goal was that. to get their property. Right? For that <laughs> but the end goal was to it's get their like, property. Like, right? oh, that's a nice house. I'm going to go and kill those folks. It wasn't. That's not. That's not what happened at all. And and. And I, I'm not sure what you want me to say. I'm I'm saying like I, I don't justify nothing I did. I mean, there's no justification for it. I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm a good guy because 
because this is why I did that. Or you know, fuck, I mean, I take the the blame for. It. I'm paying for it. Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm paying for it every, every day. day. Of my life. Every day. Every day. Yeah, every time. single day. I wake up and I have to shit at a certain time of day because it's not water later in the day. It's 95 degrees here during the day and 85 at night. Right now, I'm sweating my ass off laying on the floor talking to you. I mean, yeah. this is my life, and, and there are really high points in my life still today. But day in and day out, it's about it's a lot built on suffering, and that suffering is what I gained from being an imbecile and, and something I would never repeat. You know, what I gained from being a selfish, egotistical monster. In a later interview, Javier circled back to the murder of Bo Eisler. You talked about the Browns, you talked about uh, Cheryl, but you didn't want to talk about Bo Eisler, and I can't. That that just stayed with me, and I, I don't know why. Why is that? I mean, there's reasons why I can't mention, you know? I mean, if there's, if it, it's obviously a connection to other people, and they're just dangerous for me, so I'm just going to leave it like that. So, John, I just couldn't understand. He, he refuses to go into any detail about Bo Eisler's murder, and I don't understand why. Yeah, and he says it's because he's protecting accomplices, uh, these unknown, unnamed accomplices. But the only accomplice we know of is Laura Michelle Reese. So for me, I feel like that maybe she had a much stronger role in Bo Eisler's murder than the others. There's, there's definitely something going on here that he's not willing to divulge. So let's talk about what the official story is. Like, what, what do police think happened to Bo Eisler? Yeah, while Bill told investigators that he invited Bo Eisler to his house, which was the former Brown's house, to discuss a real estate deal. But it was all a ruse. There was there was no lawyer. There were no papers for Bo Eisler to sign. He just brought him there and then basically took him out in the back and shot him in the back of the head. Were there other people involved other than Laura Reese? <laughs> Laura Reese. Laura Reese had nothing to do with anything. But other than her, nobody else was involved in any of the murders? Well, again, here's the thing about that. Here's here's the thing. I, 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 I got to be really careful about how I answer these questions. I sat down with the district attorney's office and said, hey, I'm guilty of all this shit. I did it all. And they're like, no, but we want to know about this and this and this and this. And I'm not going to speak about those things. Right. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm telling you, I'm turning myself in. Well, not turning myself in. I was caught. But I mean, I'm like, I'm confessing. I did everything. Nobody else had anything to do with anything. That's good enough. And they're like, but this doesn't make any sense. I mean, these, there's things here that don't make any sense. Like, how did you change the properties over? How did you do this? How did you do that? I mean, you, you can't do There's some things here. There are a lot of things here you can't do. And I said, what the fuck good is it going to do me to rat on all my friends and put everybody in prison? I mean, and so, so that's, I'm just staying with that. Like, I'm just staying with my story that, that I did everything myself and, and then that's that. A special thanks to our executive producer, AdvertiseCast, and to Ruby Rose Fox for allowing us to use her song, Bury the Body, during our intro. Her music is available anywhere you can purchase music. If you enjoy the podcast, 
Find us on social media at CriminalCon. And please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. And make sure to listen to our other shows. John Taylor hosts the Twisted Podcast, and I, Javier Leva, host the Pretend Podcast. Welcome to Down the Rabbit Holes podcast. I'm Melissa. And I'm Amy. We are so excited that you are checking out our trailer. What we want to tell you is our format is we cover unsolved missing persons cases. One of us will tell the story and then we debate theories and what could have happened. Yes, we love true crime. We always discuss it and we found ourselves discussing podcasts and theorizing about them and we would get so excited about the prospect of discussing a case and thinking about the what if this happened except we weren't hearing the what if this happened in the podcast we were listening to amy's right and when we wanted to do this we sort of sat down and said how can we help And what I mean by that is we only discuss unsolved missing persons cases in hopes that you'll share the story, your friends will share the story, and they'll continue to share and keep this person story going. Absolutely. So we hope that you'll join us. Every week, we release a brand new episode. Yes. Come back every Monday night for a whole new case. Bye. Bye. Creative Babble.